0: Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. This morning we're, we're going to be talking about the element of time in our spiritual growth. Uh, so... I want, to, um, I want to tell a story that, I, I, it's one of my favorite stories in my little devotional classic called Streams in the Desert. Uh, I've been reading Streams in the Desert for the last 33 years, and uh, every, every January I, I, I read the story afresh, and I'm always like, it's such a great story, so I want to tell it this morning. It's about, a, and this is a true story, a man had, uh, in a jar, had a, a cocoon of an emperor moth and if we could just show what an emperor moth looks like so it's huge I mean this thing is huge and it's very beautiful it looks like eyeballs almost on the, on the wings and so this, this man had had this um, cocoon in his jardin's desk for almost a year when one morning he noticed some activity and he began to notice that this moth was beginning to try to push its way through the top of the cocoon and as it did, you know, he for several hours he, he watched the process. I mean, he would, he would go and do other things, but he would come back to see what the progress that had been made, and he, he saw that this uh, moth was kind of stuck, and it was having, having difficulty getting out of this cocoon. And so he thought, you know, it's probably much drier in the house. This is the cocoon here. It's probably much drier in my house than it would be out in nature so he, it, there's probably an element of uh, uh, you know difficulty that it shouldn't have, and so he decided, in his compassion, to go ahead and take some scissors and just snip part of the the you know one of the strands of of webbing at the top of the cocoon. And within a matter of minutes, the sure enough, the the moth emerged from the cocoon, but something was wrong. It was instead of being this beautiful you know, moth that we saw with these beautiful wings, um, it was actually, like its body was very kind of clumpy and its wings were shriveled and it was dragging them behind it. it and and uh, he thought, you know, over the next period, uh, a period of the next few minutes or hours, that these wings would unfurl and it would become this beautiful moth. Instead, within two hours, it was dead. And he realized that in his compassion he had actually uh, circumvented the process that had to take place for the moth to push through that narrow opening and all the fluid to be, for its body to be elongated like it should be, and all the fluid to be pressed into its wings so the wings would actually stretch and unfurl and, and become filled with the fluid that was in its, you know, the way it was supposed to, and it was supposed to push through that so that in that process it would become this beautiful moth. And in his compassion, he had actually not only deformed this thing, he had actually ultimately killed it. And I want to say to you this morning that as we talk about the element of time, God is not willing to circumvent your time process, the time it's going to take to develop you into the image of Christ because he doesn't want you to be deformed and he certainly doesn't want you to die. (laughs) You know, it's not helpful for him to shorten the process of the time it takes for you and I to develop into what we're supposed to be. And my very first point this morning is this, and I want to continue. I, I hope that Dennis and I will say this over and over again, that God's purpose in our spiritual growth process is this, one purpose, to conform us to the image of Christ at the very beginning of creation, when He created everything else, the crown of creation was human, hu- human beings, humankind. And His number one purpose for creating us was to create creatures in the image and likeness of Himself. And that has never changed. That is still His purpose, that you and I be conformed to the image of Christ. And And, and as I was thinking about that this morning, as I was... Um, you know, just thinking about sharing about this, this scripture came back to mind to me, and it summarizes, and this is not on, on a slide, uh, but it's, um, it's verse 18 of chapter 3 of Second Corinthians, and it says this, and Paul is talking to, you gotta re- I just want to remind you of the audience here. He calls them saints, and he calls them a bunch of babies. He's like, you're you're, you're not even mature enough to understand truth. You're a bunch of babies. You're a bunch of little babies. You're not ready for even solid food. But he calls them saints. They're not sinners, they're saints. And he says this to them, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, even these baby Christians... Are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's purpose in our lives is to conform us to the image of Christ. And that will never change. That is God's purpose for us. The purpose and goal of spiritual growth is to conform us to the image of Christ. God's original plan has never changed. Uh, Philippians uh, 2.13 says, It is God, and I will add the Holy Spirit, because He's the one at work in our lives, who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. And what is that purpose? Conform us to the image of Christ. Do not forget that. Never forget that. That is what God is doing. And the second point is God's work to do that takes time. It just takes time. Like the emperor moth takes time to emerge from the cocoon. It takes time. I love Philippians six. He says, He, God the Spirit again, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day Christ Jesus returns. And it will take that long to finish the process. Doesn't mean that we can't look more and more like Christ every day, every, every moment But I I just want to encourage you with this. It is a lie of the enemy that you should be making headlong leaps and bounds in spiritual progress every day. That is not true. That is simply not true. You know, when, when people first come to Christ, they often start out in a very fast way. Making a lot of progress initially within the first I would say 3 to 6 months usually there's a lot of spiritual progress because what happens is they they they, they come into uh an encounter with the church the body of Christ into the go- uh, encounter with the gospel they hear the the, the plan of salvation they, they 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 start feeling the conviction of the holy spirit and and they they're they're alive uh, in terms of their soul is alive, their mind, will, and emotion is alive, and their bodies are alive, but their spirits are dead. We're born in Adam, dead in spirit. All of us are. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born of the spirit. And so then this conviction happens, and, and, and people come to Christ. And, and, and by the way, if you've not experienced this yet, if you've not experienced the new birth... It is the greatest thing that can ever happen in your life. It is absolutely the most important thing that can happen in your life. Because your spirit's dead until the Holy Spirit of Christ comes in and quickens you to life. And when, when that happens for a new Christian, suddenly they come alive. Their eyes are open. They, they understand spiritual things. They, they start understanding the Bible. They start understanding what salvation means. And often they're, they're the best evangelists. New Christians are some of the best evangelists because they, they can tell you what just happened to them. And they're excited about it. And they want other people to hear about it. And they, they tend to grow very rapidly. I remember, uh, and, and let me just say this also, often the Holy Spirit will will immediately transform things in people's lives when, when he comes into their lives. I remember uh, a man came to our church in the late 90s, and uh, he came here under duress. He did not want to come. He had promised someone that he would come to church uh, basically because he was in a people-pleasing mode at the moment and gave them his word he would be here and uh, had lots of second thoughts about that, but because he said he would, he he showed up. (laughs) And he said he came through the door and he did not want to be here. And before the worship music started, he was under such conviction that he was at, we used to have these altar rails, and he was at the altar rail weeping when I found him. And I walked over, and I put my hand on him, and he said, when I touched him, something happened. He felt like even more conviction. He just felt like he felt the power of God on him. And so uh, in, somehow he was able to communicate what was going on. I said, well, you need, you need Jesus, dude. You, need, you just need to accept Jesus in your heart. And he did that morning. And he had two addictions. He was addicted to alcohol, and he was addicted to marijuana. Now, I don't know that marijuana can be uh, a chemical addic- addiction like other drugs, but it's certainly a psychological addiction. He was immediately delivered from alcohol, but he struggled on with his addiction to, to marijuana for a couple of years. And God eventually took that away too. But immediately, alcohol was, was gone. And he had been an alcoholic since he was a teenager. And he did grow very rapidly. But then God will, according to Miles Stanford, God will slow us down for a couple of reasons, uh, among others probably, to keep pride in check in our lives. Because there, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been around a new Christian. Uh, but but new, Christians can, new Christians can be very critical of the rest of the church because they don't Feel like, there's any zeal in the church. They don't feel like there's any evangelistic uh, you know, convic- conviction to, to lead people to Christ. And so they become very critical of others in the church that have walked with the Lord for a while, very judgmental. And they get really filled with a lot of pride. And a, a, a lot of, you know, m- many of young Christians are very gifted in certain ways. And so there's a lot of confidence in their flesh, and they don't realize it. And, and God has to kind of slow us down to, to break our pride and, and to kind of kill the confidence that we have in our flesh because it's very easy to, um, to be prideful and, and to lean on our giftedness and, and our uh, talents and, you know, our zeal, so to speak. I want to... So, so my, my point really is, again... God's work takes time and He will slow things down and He will take us through seasons and cycles and, and He will work out His plans and purposes for us over time. Um, there's, a, there's a story about a, a, a college student that went to his professor and he said, he said uh, uh, not professor, but to the, to, actually he went to the president's office. And he said, look, he said, "I don't want to go through four years of school. Is there any? Is there a shortcut to get get my degrees? Like, I want to to go, get the fastest route through this thing. Uh, is there a shorter program that I can take advantage of?" And it's this is in the in the book, by the way. Uh, and the professor or the, uh, the 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 president of the college said, "Well, it depends on what you want to be." And he wisely said this, when God wants to make an oak tree, he takes 100 years. When he wants to make a squash, he takes six months. You want to be an oak tree or a squash? <laughs> you know, God's in the business of making oaks of righteousness out of us. And so he's going to take his time. He's going to take his time. And I want to, I want to point out a couple of examples of this. One from the Old Testament, one from the New. You guys remember a dude named Moses. You know, the, the deliverer of Israel, the burning bush guy, you know? Um, Moses was uh, was a pretty amazing guy. Um, Pharaoh had decided that the people of Israel living in Goshen... If you want to read this story, you know, go to the second book of the Bible. It begins in chapter 1 of Exodus and read about what's happening. But um, all of the Israelites had moved to... Uh, Egypt during the famine where Joseph, the son of Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, the, the, the father of all the Jews, J- Joseph had basically saved Egypt. And so Pharaoh was so appreciative, he gave uh, the 70 descendants, you know, the 70 uh, Israelites this this area called Goshen. And over a period of, of many decades, the Israelites began to... Uh, out, you know they were having so many babies and 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 producing so much offspring that Pharaoh was afraid that you know he was like the grandson of this Pharaoh that that knew Joseph. He was afraid that they would outpopulate the the Egyptians, so he started killing the babies. And so Joseph or uh, Moses's mom put him in a basket and put him in the Nile among some reeds. And Pharaoh's daughter, who had you know, uh enacted this edict about killing all these babies, she, she went down to the Nile to, to take a bath and found Moses in a basket. And she's, oh, he's so cute, you know. I'm going to take him home like a puppy and raise him, you know. And so somehow, uh, you know, Moses' mom got to go with him to the palace and she helped raise Moses. So Moses grew up with his mother reminding him daily that he was, he was not an Egyptian, he was an Israelite. Even though he was the, the step grandson of, uh, uh, of Pharaoh. And so he's about 40 years old. He's in the prime of life. You know, he lived to be 120, so, you know, at 40, he's in the prime of his life. And uh, he's probably in his royal robes. He's probably got some kind of a crown on, and he's out walking through Egypt. And he, suddenly he comes upon this scene where an Egyptian is killing an Israelite, or, or beating an Israelite. And so he remembers who he is. I'm an Israelite. This shouldn't be happening. So he kills the Egyptian and buries his body in the sand, and he thinks that everything's okay. Well, by, by the time he gets back to the palace, Pharaoh's found out that uh, Moses has killed an Egyptian, and that's not cool. And so he, he runs for his life, and he, becomes, he goes from being a prince to a fugitive like that. And he escapes to the Sinai Peninsula where he marries this, young, this woman whose father has a bunch of sheep. And so Moses begins to herd sheep for 40 years. He herds sheep by himself in the desert in the Sinai Peninsula like, like there's nothing out there. And he has to take care of his father-in-law, Jethro's sheep, for 40 years. I've only been in Springfield 33 years, and it feels like a lifetime. I'm still seven years short of that 40 years that Moses was taking care of these sheep. I want to tell you what's going on with Moses. Moses is no longer the, the grandson of a of, of Pharaoh. He's now a sheep herder. In, in, in the Egyptians' view of things... People that herd, herded animals, cattle, and sheep were the dregs of society. So he had gone from prince to pauper. He had gone from you know this exalted position to a nobody. And he had lived with this for 40 years. He had to take care of these sheep. He had to birth baby lambs. He had to make sure that these sheep had water and food and they were protected from animals. And so he had to be a caretaker and a nurturer and a leader, and he learned over forty four decades how to take care of sheep. Do you know the animal that God most relates us to? Sheep. You think about that, that's not a compliment. <laughs> sheep are not super smart animals, and they get in trouble a lot, and they follow each other. Uh you know off a cliff and you know that they, they often get you know wander off and get in trouble with wolves and stuff i mean very much like we are and so moses had to learn how to take care and to herd these sheep in preparation to herd the people of israel out of egypt and through the wilderness for 40 years and so he's humbled he's broken and he's become a servant Broken, humbled servants are very, very usable to the Lord. Forty years. Now, I want you to think about something in terms of that forty years. When, when Moses fled for his life from Egypt, the people of Israel were in slavery, and yet God wasn't in any big hurry to develop their deliverer. Forty years, guys. He's not in a hurry. God for some reason just doesn't get in a hurry when it comes to us. And yet he's concerned and he sends Moses back. But the conversation that he has with Moses on the at the burning bush at the 40-year mark <laughs> Moses says, "Why, well, you know, I can't talk plain because I want he, you know, God's sending him back to be the deliverer of Israel or, uh, from Egypt." And he's like, "You know, I can't talk plain. And uh, God says, I, I don't care. Who made your mouth, you know? I'll, I'll use your brother. Well, he's like, well, um, they, they won't listen to me because I, I'm a sheep herder, and they don't respect sheep herders, and, you know, they're not going to listen to me. He's like, well, you know, I, I think I can take care of that too. And he's like, so what's that, what's that in your hand? He's like, well, it's a stick. He's like, well, I, I can use the stick, so don't worry about it. You know, all you need is a stick. I got, I got the rest. <laughs> Guys, I mean, honestly, when we what we bring to the Lord is about that. You know, Phil Shank told me one time early in, in my ministry, he's like, so, he's like, Neil, he's like, uh, two things. He's like, you're a hard nut to crack, but God's got just the right nutcracker. I was kind of like Moses. I, you know, I, I don't know. I had a lot of pride. I came out of seminary thinking I knew everything. And he just told me, he's like, you're a hard nut to crack, but God's got just the the right nutcracker. I, I, I think he was calling me a nut. I'm not sure. But anyway, it doesn't matter. But um, the second thing he told me is that you bring about 1% to the table in terms of what you have to offer in your ministry. The other 99% God has to do. And that's true. And so Moses had a stick. You know, he no longer had the crown and the, the robe and the title. All he, all he has now is a stick. And God said, I, I can use a stick. So go back to Egypt. And finally Moses said, I don't want to do it. Send somebody else. And and God's like, no, I'm sending you. (laughs) And he did. And and, and Moses delivered the people of Israel. But God took that long to develop this man. And he will take his time with you and me. The other person I want to talk about is just Paul. After Paul, who is Saul, persecutor of Christians, he had this incredible pedigree. Um, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. He wrote two-thirds of the of the New Covenant, New Testament. Um, Paul was a Pharisee. The Pharisees are the ones that had Jesus crucified. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he says in Philippians 2. He, is, he gives his resume to the Philippians to say that he counted it all as dog poo-poo. He says, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. As to the law, I was perfect in keeping the letter of the law. I was a true Pharisee blue-blooded Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin. My father was a Benjamite. My mother was a Benjamite. I was a pure-blooded Jew. Uh, I had everything going for me. He says, as for zeal, I was a persecutor of this false religion that I thought and false Messiah, Jesus, until I met Jesus and he knocked me off my high horse and told me that I would after he blinded me and knocked me off my horse that I had to go into... Damascus, where I was headed to arrest Christians, and this guy named Ananias would pray for me, and then he would commission me to be the the Gentile. I mean, the the uh, the the apostle to the Gentiles. Pharisees hated Gentiles; they called them dogs. Now he was being called (laughs) to the Gentiles. But you know, before he really did much of anything, he spent three years in Arabia learning the gospel learning about grace, learning about the new covenant from the Lord himself. God has to show us what we are and what we're not, and that our fleshly strength really amounts to nothing. Who did Jesus choose, you know? Who did Jesus choose? And, and how long did he have to, have to put up with those knuckleheads before they were ready to... Uh, you know to to do anything and by the way until we are broken until we're broken until we understand grace true growth can't begin god has to break us before we can begin to grow and sometimes that takes years peter was so full of himself at the last supper he said lord all these other all these other losers will probably deny you but i will never deny you. I will never leave you. And Jesus said, well, you know, I, I, I have to correct you there. Before the, the sun comes up tomorrow morning, you will have denied me three times. And sure enough, he did. But it wasn't until then that he was ready to even begin his his ministry to the people that God had called him to. It, it just, it takes time, and part of that time is brokenness. Um, I was going to have Wes come and share his testimony this morning right here, but I I, I just feel like um, I, I we I can't take the time to do that this morning. But I just want to tell you that um, uh, let let me just give you the quick version, and then Wes can can tell the long version sometime the whole thing. But um, Wes uh, he became pretty good at playing the the guitar and singing when he was in about the fifth or sixth grade. And he began to be like a chapel at, at, at the Christian school he went to. He began to uh, lead worship in chapel. And, uh, you know, he was a rock star, man, at, at Emmanuel, And uh, uh, he was a really good athlete. He ended up winning state in the 800 his senior year. And then he began to pursue... A career as a rock star, and one, he and his band, uh, those one guys, uh, one uh, Springfield's Got Talent, and then they were going on, going on to America's Got Talent, and they they went to audition and they made it through the first several rounds of that, and then they got cut, <laughs> and then they came home, and I said, okay, Wes, uh, you've been doing this for you know close to a year, it's time to get a job, and so um, he did. He he started work for Honda, and. Uh, that was his wilderness experience, and uh, he he worked for a couple of years, and and um, he came home one night and he told or when yeah from work and he said, Dad, he said, uh, you know, he said, people don't care that I went state, people don't care that that you know I was with a rock, you know I had a band, people people don't care, people people have their own lives, their own concerns, they, they you know, and, and he said, you know he. The people that he worked with, he could see himself in them, and, and uh, they were just reflecting back to him all his pride and all, all his, the, the stuff that, that he struggled with. And he said, he said, I just got to the point that I was just completely undone. I was completely broken. And then God took him to YWAM, and he met Lily, and uh, uh, he came back a different person. God had, had dealt with him over a period of time and broken him, and um, he was ready. He was really ready to grow. And it's kind of interesting that when he went to YWAM, uh, he had he had given up on uh, being a rock star and was reintroduced to worship not as the worship leader, but just as a participant. And that's when he fell in love again with worship, not as the big star on stage but but as the one who was just worshiping from the chairs and and he really learned how to worship at that point it's really cool spiritual growth takes time it sometimes takes decades most of the time it takes decades but here's the deal my third point is this guys god doesn't get mad frustrated or impatient with us and you got to really hear this Unless we surrender to God's plan, we can be constantly frustrated. We can be frustrated with ourselves. We can be frustrated with God. If we're not progressing quickly, we, we're like the, the kid who wants to take the shortcut in his classwork, and And, and God's, God is like, no. Would you just chill out? Would you just rest? Would you be still and know that I am God? Would you just let me do my work? He who began a good work in you will, will continue it until the coming of Christ Jesus. It takes time, guys, for the Holy Spirit to work in us. It takes time. There are no shortcuts to spiritual growth. There are no shortcuts. I mean, these two kind of go together, and I you know I, know I kind of went by that really fast. But we need to surrender to God's plan and not become frustrated with ourselves or with the Lord because we're not making quicker progress. In my sermon on biblical dying, I talked about the cycle of the process of growth. And and we, we, we hit these pockets of growth where we really do grow. And then there's a time of settling into that new growth where we... You know, we, we, we hit another level and then we, we kind of settle in and we're, we're there for a time. And then as a result of that, we begin to bear fruit. There's a time, there's a season of fruit bearing. And that's always fun. That's always awesome when we see God using us in bearing fruit around us. But then God comes along and he says, okay, now it's time to prune you again. If, if you bear fruit, the vine dresser is going to prune you, I guarantee it. That you might bear more fruit, Jesus says. And then there that feels like death because pruning feels very much like death. We go through a time where we're cut off, we're cut back, we're we're sidelined. We're we're you know, we just go through this thing where God prunes us back to the nub sometimes and it feels like death. It just does. Anybody relate to that? Anybody been through pruning where you just feel like you're you just feel like you're dying? Yeah, and and then after that, there's a there's a time of, of rest. There's a time of, of kind of, uh, you know, just it, I call it a fallow time where, where not much is happening. We're just we've we've come through this pruning process. We're we're recovering from it, and we're we don't have a lot to offer. Maybe we don't do a lot of ministry. Maybe we don't feel like we can do ministry. We we, we just feel kind of like. You know, we're not dead, but we're not ready to do much of anything else. And then that's often followed by more growth. We're, we're, we've positioned, we're in a position at that point that God can take us into some more, more growth and we grow again, which is followed by the settling and followed by fruit, followed by more pruning. But that, that, that's, that's the kind of thing that happens because God is taking us through these things To deal with our pride, to deal with our selfishness, to deal with our flesh, to deal with besetting sins. But but God all through this, God's grace is just being poured out on us and more and more and more. There's never a time where He gets He gets frustrated and and just impatient and wants to kill us. Like that's just not the way God is. He knows that we have to go through these things. And so He's not in a hurry. And and He doesn't get frustrated. One of the temptations that we can uh, experience as we're going through this whole thing is just the, the temptation to want to, to seek spiritual experiences that will kind of circumvent uh, the arduous process of growth. And and so I just want to read a quote from the chapter. I love this. It says, "It says experiences and blessings, though they may be, in fact, real and gracious visitations from the Lord." are not sufficient to build our spiritual lives on. Nor should they lead us to pride in ourselves as if we had arrived and there would be no more conflict with temptation and sin. No, fruit ripens slowly, days of sunshine, days of storm and rain, each add their share, blessing will succeed blessing, and storm follows storm before the fruit is full grown and comes into maturity in spiritual growth, a vine dresser's method of sp- true spiritual growth often involves pain as well as joy, suffering as well as happiness, failure, failure, <laughs> failure as well as success, inactivity as well as service, and death as well as life. That is so true. That is so, so true. We never fully arrive, so to speak. Now we can reach a level of maturity where we're very, very Christ-like. And that, that is what I'm going for. I've told you guys that very often. But Miles Stanford says, Any experience that makes us more aware of our need for God will contribute to our spiritual progress. Let me read that again. Any experience that makes us more aware of our need for God will contribute to our spiritual progress. And I I love this quote from the book. Let me find it here. Oh, yeah, here we go. We might consider some familiar names of believers whom God obviously brought to maturity and used for His glory. Names such as the great evangelist White L. Moody, mission pioneers Jonathan Goforth, George Mueller, Amy Carmichael, J. Hudson Taylor, and John Praying Hyde. Prolific hymn writers, Isaac Watt and Francis Havergal, Christian authors, Charles Trumbull, F.B. Meyer, Andrew Murray, Madame Guyon, and many more. Now listen to this right here. This is so encouraging for me. The average for these was 15 years after they entered their life's work before they began to know the Lord Jesus as their life and ceased trying to work for him and began allowing him to be there all in all and to do his work through them. That, my friends, is spiritual maturity. Ceasing to work for him and allowing him to be our life, our all-in-all, all, and to do his work through us. That's the goal. Great teacher that I listened to many, many sermons by a guy named Malcolm Smith, a guy from England. Uh, lived in Texas and Canada, uh, a great teacher. He said, the biggest day of my life was the day that I came to the grips with the fact that I could not live this Christian life. He said, I, I realized it, and I scrapped the whole idea. I never tried to please God ever again. He said, I realized that only Jesus could live this Christian life. And if I was going to live it, he would have to live it through me. That's the goal. That's being conformed to the image of Christ. It's when we come to the end of ourselves and realize that Christ has to live his life through us. And we move out of the way, we yield to him, and let him take over. God's purpose is to conform you and me to the image of Christ. But he's not in a hurry, and he needs us to be broken, he needs us to be humble. And he needs us to get out of the way so that Christ can actually live this life through us. And that, my friends, takes time. It takes time. So settle in for the long haul. God's not in a hurry, and we shouldn't be either. Let's just settle in realizing that it's his work, and he's going to do it. He's going to break us. He's going to prune us. He's going to bring us to the end of our our pride and our strength and our flesh and our self. And he's going to show us how to let Jesus take over and to live his life through us. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit VineyardNorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.